Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Dreamwife are an English London-based band whose sound is a mixture of punk rock, pop music, and indie rock. The band consists of Raquel on lead vocals, Alice on guitar and vocals, and Bella bass and vocals. They've been supported by Alex on drums since 2018. In 2018, the band was included on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 13 best things we saw at that year's Lollapalooza Music Festival. Kev and Paul of BBC Music called Dreamwife a jaw-dropping live act and one of the most talked about new bands of 2018. Joe from Billboard wrote, Dreamwife are inarguably one of the most exhilarating live rock bands to emerge within the last few years. The band have released three successful albums that have charted in the UK and around the world, namely Dreamwife from 2018, So When You Gonna from 2020, and Social Lubrication from 2023. Up next on Celebs Vant, we've got Raquel from Dreamwife. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing and what's happening in your life? I'm now in my apartment in East London, and it is gray and cold outside and the trees are bashing up against the window. Oh, wow. Isn't it summer there, though? It is, but it's, uh, you know, it's London. It's, it's great. <laughs> yes. How are you doing? I'm very well. So the reason I was giggling is I'm in South Africa and South Africa's winter. And for I suppose our winter is like London's summer. <laughs> so, Pretty much. Yes. <laughs> Have you been to South Africa before? I have not, and I've always wanted to go. Hopefully, so, we get to play. Yes. One. Yes, so putting it out there, and then I'll be cheering you guys right in front, and we'll go for coffee or drinks afterwards. <laughs> Wonderful. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. So now let's rewind all the way back to the beginning. So your first thought of going into the music and uh, media or entertainment industry what age was that? And then how did that evolve into being part of the band? And also, where does the name Dream Wife come from? Well, I'll dive into that. I am from Reykjavik, Iceland. I am very blessed to have been raised in a family of artists and theater people and musicians, but also software engineers and teachers. <laughs> But it is, it's really a wonderful thing when you have people around you that are family and friends of family that are showing you examples of various ways to make a living. Mm -hmm. And that has been incredibly helpful for me and my siblings wanting to venture down a creative route for life, you know, Knowing how to pay taxes when you're a freelancer. <laughs> so it's important that you've got to learn at a young age. Um, and I'm really thankful for my, my family to have been very supportive and given me examples of way to be a full-time musician. I went to Brighton, in, which is an hour outside of London in the UK, and went to art school there, went to uni. And when I went to uni, that's where I met my bandmates, Bella and Alice. And we were studying uh, various forms of art. I was doing visual art, music. Alice was doing sculpture. And Bella was doing fine art painting. And we became friends. 
And towards the end of uni, we thought it'd be a funny idea to make a band and tour Canada because we wanted to go to Canada and visit Rare's friends of ours. And that's exactly what we did. We wrote four songs, contacted our friends, uh, went around Canada on megabuses and Greyhound buses and slept on a lot of floors. And after we did that, we came back to the UK and thought, why not just make some more music and, and find more excuses to go visit your friends in various countries and to make new friends yes. and become the of creative communities, not just in, in your town. So that's been the driving force of this band is also when you're finishing uni, you don't really know what you want to do, especially if you're finishing art school. So you have no idea what's happening afterwards. It felt, it felt like the right thing to do to, to make a rock band with <laughs> your close. Friends. And, and one thing led to another and we ended up signing with a wonderful label here in London called lucky number. And then we released a, a debut album in 2018. And really since then, besides the pandemic, we've pretty much just been on the road and have made many new friends and have gotten to visit many friends. I highly recommend starting a rock band <laughs> with your friend <laughs> if you want to travel and sleep on interesting <laughs> <laughs> And then the name Dreamwise, where does that come from? Well, when we decided to make this band for the sole purpose of visiting our friends in Canada, which is funny. Uh, we, we were thinking about what kind of music we should make, what was exciting to us at the time. And we wanted to have a rock band mm -hmm. and we wanted to have it quite playful too. We wanted it to be political, but we also wanted it to be a bit kitsch and dance and playful. And, mm. and one of our inspirations were, we were all obsessed with the band La Tigre, that kind of play on punk and playfulness was a really interesting combination. And we were so lucky to get support them in London the other day, their first show in 18 years. That was a full, full circle moment, um, meeting your heroes. Yes. But with Dreamwife, we knew we wanted to do that. We, you know, when art school students make a band, they start with making a manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> sound like what are influences what is the importance here what do we want to get out of this mm -hmm. uh what are, what are what are our boundaries and the name dream wife was a name that we threw around before we even like started playing together because it was this kind of play on a funny term that held a lot of uh misogyny but also was silly mm. and the idea of a dream wife doesn't exist and we wanted to play upon that of also the idea of being bracketed in one thing of yes. because humans are so complex we have mm. so many we have so many variations of ourselves we have so many uh different inputs and outputs you know but there's so many different faces to a human being and the idea of put into a box of one is a strange concept. So that's what we, we, we thought that would be a funny band name. And, and uh, we were right. It's, it's a pretty good band name. <laughs> it's totally cool. Expanding on what you said. So the often, you know, people put themselves or society or labels, put people in boxes, you this or this or that. And 
I've, I believe most, I see myself as an octopus. So I'm an octopus and I'm, I'm a podcast host. I'm a spinning instructor. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a partner, et cetera. And as you can have as many tentacles as you want or as few as you want. And it's just about swimming through the ocean and being with the flow of energy. That's the way I see it. <laughs> I love that you're a spinning instructor. That's so cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do that as well. <laughs> We're having a human experience. Exactly. And if we are blessed to be able to, um, you know, both have the privilege to seek out different things and the joy to, to be a beginner and to try new things. I think that's really exciting. I would love to be a spinning instructor. That's <laughs> one of the coolest avenues, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I start by being a student. <laughs> yes. Have you done classes before? I have a few. They're quite intense here in London sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a cult. Um, what is all the business bros and, and ladies that are just like seeing it as a religion. And yes. I find it absolutely fascinating and exciting and cool. But at the same time, I'm also very overwhelmed because I feel like I'm being, I'm being put into a cult. <laughs> I grew up, I grew up partly in California. So I'm, around hippie areas in Northern California, <laughs> which was wonderful as a child. But yes. I think it made me more, more aware of wellness yeah. groups that are actually just cults. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I get what you say. <laughs> but I also think it's brilliant and I really enjoy it. But I <laughs> maybe I just won't go back to that one place I went to. In, yes. Because in that, was, that was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the music. So... From zero to a three to four minute song, what is that process? Do you all write together? Who does the main writing or the melodies or the lyrics? Is it easy each time? Let's dive into Dreamwife's journey of creating music and creating a song. We are first and foremost a group of friends. Mm-hmm. And we're all fire signs. <laughs> yes. We have two secretaries in Aaliyah and our drummer Paisley. He's also, he's an Aries, so it's absolutely hilarious together. But we're all, I think the the beauty of going from an art school to a band is that it is so much about collaborative effort mm-hmm. and not really stepping on other people's toes in that kind of way of letting, you know, people express themselves how they want to express themselves. And now that we've been a band for a few years, it's sort of like you just sort of know each other mm-hmm. musically. And you rather support their freedom in what they want to create. And then okay. maybe some don't cross together. And then you can look at that together to make something sound better collectively rather than individually. I mean, our school, but also we all come from, you know, we all have siblings. <laughs> so it's, it's also this kind of thing is that, you know, you want people to enjoy, you want people to be in the creative process and you don't really want to overstep toes. For example, there are many bands where I know that only one person writes the songs. Yes. And sometimes I wonder, is that the reason because they don't allow other people to write the songs? And, you know, what beauty can you, can you find from, from collaboration, from everyone having their say and their role and, and also finding different ways of using their instrument and their voice. But lyrically, cause I sing, uh, I write all the lyrics. Uh, melodies and 
I really like the structure of the songs. So I think a lot about structure wise, that's one of my parts in this band. But I, when I write lyrics, I do write it from my standpoint, but I make sure to include also my bandmates. Mm -hmm. And I also write it. A lot of the lyrics are written from conversations we have together or what is happening in our community, um, queer community, our friend groups. Uh, I think that's very important that it's not just, you know, written from one perspective. Mm. It's a bad, not a yeah. solo project. And I think that's a really beautiful thing with us. And they very much are on board. For example, there's a song called Curious from our latest album, Social Lubrication. And I love that song. And it's, uh, it's basically we joke around calling it a, uh, bisexual polyamorous anthem. Okay. <laughs> and that's pretty, it is. it's, uh, it's sort of like, it's, it's like, takes you to like a sex party in South London. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's sort of just like goes on a quite a funny journey about age as well and sexuality, but it's, it's like a pop song in a yeah. way. It's quite, quite poppy compared to the rest of our songs. And, you know, personally myself, I'm that song in particular was written from the perspective of our bass player Bella, who is really uh diving into polyamory these days and the beauty of of um that community. And so it's like written from that perspective too. So it's not necessarily myself, but it's like, you know, Bella was talking about that they were getting ready for the sex party at band practice and and they were they we were reading out what was not allowed to you couldn't wear. Okay. And that's where lyrics were inspired. It goes like, um, can I borrow your silks? I got nothing to wear. The dress code is rather bizarre. I got no latex, no nylon, no chains, no pup gear. They've even banned cotton underwear and I have nothing to wear. And that's just a conversation that Bella was having <laughs> with me and I just, that's- you know. I have no pup gear, no latex. I should probably go shopping. And <laughs> you, I only have cotton underwear. I need to get some other underwear. So it's just, it's like to incorporate your conversations into like yeah. that. That's so cool. So t- you mentioned the latest album. Tell us a little bit more about the other tracks. Well, we wrote it and it was released a few weeks ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I saw it on the charts. That's why when I saw it on the charts, I thought, oh, cool. I want to interview guys. That's why I reached out. <laughs> I was, it was, it was great. I absolutely love this new album. Uh, we released an album during the pandemic, which was commercially successful, but incredibly, uh, sad to never tour it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because we're such a, such a live band. Um, so this one, we went into writing this album, Social Lubrication. We wanted it to be an album where we pretty much envisioned how we would play it live. Okay. How sound on festival stages, how the chorus comes together. And when we started writing it, uh, we wrote it during the times when the first festival started in the UK. And there was such a beautiful excitement and chaos and beauty of being back in festival season. Yes. It was so helpful to be part of your community again, especially the love and joy of live music. And that pretty much just gave us inspiration to go write this album. We'd play a festival and then the next day we'd be back in our writing space and 
within you know four days we'd had we'd had five six songs oh wow so it really was this kind of energy that came from being a part of the live scene again yeah but then the, our album also touches on quite dark matters too you're going back into your community you know there's been so much hope for change and uh kind of reawakening and then you sort of notice that maybe not much has changed yeah that some people in power are still in power mm. and uh the progress you you thought that would be made hopefully on festival bills or um especially gender and uh related and queer related was just not even half there compared to what it was right before the pandemic there's also this kind of sort of looking at the dark parts of coming back into a music community but also the joy and the lust of being part of of a beautiful group that is the music scene and people who love live music so that's very much where we got inspiration for the album we tried to write songs during the pandemic and we didn't we, i mean we we did we wrote a bunch recorded a bunch but turns out they were all quite melancholic we didn't want to play those lives yeah <laughs> they were <laughs> We joked around calling them sad ass songs, <laughs> um, and they were beautiful and interesting, but they weren't what we wanted to do live. Yes, I think for us, we really need to have the energy of a live audience and to try out songs. We've tried out a lot of our songs live in front of an audience, and that's how we structure them afterwards. That's yeah. how we change. Let's put a chorus there because they started singing along and they've never even heard this song before. Let's try to um, add this more line into this. Okay, maybe that was a bit too too short, that intro, because they were, you know, screaming for more guitar. Very much about how the audience are perceiving the song rather than it being sort of decided inside a studio. So I love that. So then you have sort of the majority of the song done and ready, but then based on the feedback of the audience when it's performing live, you tweak it if necessary. Yeah, and you listen. Yes. You listen. See, maybe I'm overcomplicating. Maybe I'm putting too much lyrics in this part because suddenly they're singing along to a song they never heard before. Okay, this actually is a really strong sentence. For example, we have a song called Bleach, um, which is sort of like a manifesto. It's five minutes long, and it's uh, it's a it's a slow build up to a wall of sound. That song in particular, there's a line that says, "Just have some fucking empathy." We had that only two sentences of that in the beginning of the song when we played it live for the first time. And those sentences, people started screaming it back at different parts of the song. And they only came twice in the beginning. So we then went to look back in the song and saying, okay, this is the sentence of the song. Like this, yeah. this sentence is the song. Yes. This is what it's about. Then we basically added it on as a kind of a second chorus and we finish it. I mean, we've now put that in our set and have some fucking empathy is like, could be up to a minute long of people chanting at the end and screaming it. And it becomes very cathartic in a way. And that we wouldn't have found out if we just did it in a studio. We wouldn't have found where is the core of this song. That is what we often find out live. So you mentioned about live. So I'm that person who's right in front, dancing, having a ball, having, going crazy, whatever I'm doing. And I found that I find the people around me have all got their cell phones out trying to get the perfect picture, perfect video. 
And I find that they detached from the experience because of that. As a person on the stage seeing those elements, do you feel that it's just where we're at now? Or what is your perception of that in the audience's space? I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a bit personal in that way. I understand the need for documentation and the need to relive moments. And especially if you have bought an expensive concert ticket, you want to show your friends that you've been there. Yeah. Um, I understand that kind of thing. And I also understand that some people want to film stuff so they can rewatch it again and again and again. And that's beautiful in its own right. And I also understand the need for wanting to experience things without that lens in front of you. Yeah. Beyonce the other day. uh, And I had, I went with a bunch of friends they bought tickets. I didn't think about it. I was like, oh, yeah, great. Sure. Why not? They all flew in from various countries to London to go see her play. And then when she started, my jaw was on the floor for like 20 minutes. I couldn't even move. Like It was one of the most incredible productions and performance that I've seen. So I didn't even have the mind space to film it. Move. My jaw was on the floor. I couldn't even stand up. My friends were dancing and I was just sat there just absolutely mesmerized and i think when a performance is that captivating that you just really don't have any need for any other experience then maybe you don't need to pick up your phone i mean by the end of the concert you know my jaw was back up and i was dancing with my friends (laughs) and a few videos but um i think it's that kind of mixture that when a performance is you're so in awe of it you don't really need I don't know. You just, you're in the moment. You're in the flow, yeah. whatever. You- so I love this game. I know if I had to ask you this question in three days, three hours, three months, uh, three minutes, I know your answer will be different every single time. And I recognize that. I'm not necessarily saying favorite, but if you had to push play to five songs by other artists, once we finish those, this conversation, what would those songs be and by whom? Is there a kind of theme around these songs or just no, general? General. Okay, well, the song Rid of Me by PJ Harvey. I think of that song when I think about our song Leech that I was just talking about. Yes. Uh, That kind of whisper hushness of the verses, the eeriness behind those verses, Mm -hmm. and the choruses that become this wall of sound and then drop down. I think that entire album is a masterpiece, and that song in particular is uh, something that I connected to a lot when we were mixing our album, the element of surprise. Mm, Code of Many Colors, Dolly Parton, my favorite song from being a child. It reminds me of the beauty of this simple life that you led as a child Yeah. with your family dynamic, which I was blessed to have. Um, I also just love Dolly Parton. She's the best. God, that one's iconic. Highly recommend checking out her podcast series. It's brilliant. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> Third one. Uh, Beyonce. Yeah. I absolutely freaked out when I saw her play Crazy in Love. Okay. Which is funny because her husband was there watching, but he didn't do the song with her. Oh, okay. <laughs> which was fine by me. Yeah. But like, oh, being a teenager and being in your, you know, being like a young kid, really. Was it like 12 when it came out? But being like a kid and just like dancing in your room, yes. pretending, you know, 
somewhere else than in your room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, same theme. Is this it by the strokes? Mm, that's another feeling of, for me, that whole album in particular, I found when I was barring slash stealing my sister's iPod. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have, I was a kid. Yeah. To go to school and going, I was then living in Reykjavik and it was sometimes quite tough to walk to school because yeah. there was a lot and uh, a lot of storms and it took half an hour to walk to school. So borrowing my sister's iPod and listening to what she was listening to was quite an exciting thing to do whilst trekking through the snow. Um, and one of the first albums that I loved through and the discoveries through her iPod. She has great taste in music, my older <laughs> sister. Uh, was Is a Sit by The Strokes. And that album will always, and that song in particular, will always be reminding myself being small and fighting against the storm, going to school, not really understanding why I wasn't living a high life in New York at the age of 12. And... <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, not being in the band scene, but wishing yeah. that my life and beautiful thing is that is my life, but it's in London. Those kind of moments where you're a kid and you don't really, or kid or young or any time in your life where you don't really know how to get from A to B and realize there is no A to B. There's A to B, whatever, endless. <laughs> there is no uh, black and white, cup, cup and paste. Okay, last song. Lon Del Rey, Norman fucking Rockwell. She was playing Glastonbury last weekend and I I wasn't there, but some of my best friends were there and they told me exactly what happened from the beginning to the end of her set. But <laughs> 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 it yesterday and uh I I love Lon Del Rey so much. I get a lot of inspiration from her lyrically. Yeah. I love how soft and yet brutal she is in the same sentence. I think that album, Norman fucking Rockwell, is my favorite album of hers. And how she starts with it is just so brilliant. I remember hearing when the album came out first, I was on a bus, on a double-decker bus, really early in the morning at 7 a.m. in northern uh, London. And I saw the album was out, so I went on Spotify and, and uh, clicked the album. And she begins it with the sentences... Goddamn man child, you fucked me so good that I almost said I love you. Your poetry is bad and you blame the news. Why wait for the best when I can have you? And that's how she starts an album. Wow. I remember being on the top of that bus and I screamed. I was like, ah! and then I realized I was in public at 7 a.m. <laughs> screaming on a double darker bus. And I just sort of like, just like, I just couldn't, I just didn't. I, I was just so blown away that that's how she started an album yes. with, with those. Um, yeah, I, I love that album. So Raquel, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. So as a final message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? Enjoy the sweet summer sunshine. 